0: everyone on today's episode of food talk with danny nierenberg i chat with spike mendelson a celebrity chef restaurant tour, and food policy advocate we talk about his partnership with unilever his work with the dc food policy Council, and what he thinks we can all do to make the food system better please enjoy the show everyone welcome to food talk the podcast with me danny nierenberg today i get to chat with spike mendelson who is a celebrity chef a restaurateur a culinary consultant and a good food advocate Uh, spike graduated from the culinary institute of america and has appeared on bravo's top chef and has hosted the midnight feast as well as the food network's kitchen sink he is the executive consultant for the Sunnyside Restaurant Group, which has three restaurants and two cocktail bars. He's opened his own restaurants. Um, he recently started working uh, with Unilever on their Make Meals Do More campaign. And most interesting to me, he's an incredible... Uh, advocate working with groups like D.C. Central Kitchen and was the first chair of the D.C. Food Policy Council. He also co-hosts um, an, another uh, amazing podcast that I listen to all the time called Plate of the Union with Monica Mills from the organization Food Policy Action. It's an incredible podcast. I recommend everyone uh, go and listen to it, and and subscribe to it, and and rate it. It's really incredible. Spike, thank you so much for joining me. I know you're like the busiest person on earth. Um, do you want to add anything to your bio?
1: No, no. You just you just gave me a little anxiety, actually. No I'm kidding. Uh, if you
0: have anxiety, then yeah, I'm in trouble.
1: Wait, I have to do all those things out. No. Um, Daniel thank you it's a pleasure to have you and, and thanks for the such a great introduction you know it's uh, just trying to do my part you know and uh, uh it's 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 kind of amazing where food has has led me yeah you, you know like I never never in my wildest dreams would have I thought I'd be involved in, in uh, well first of all in policy sure but in so many different aspects of uh the food industry really you know so Uh, it's been a wild ride since culinary school.
0: That's great. One of the things that I do with all of, of my guests is I ask them their favorite food memory, because I think it's an interesting way to get to know someone. So I'm sure you have incredible food memories. Feel free to, you know, share more than one, but is there sort of a defining moment when you knew that you'd be, you know, involved in food in your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, I definitely get that question a lot, you know, being a chef, but, but, um. You know, there's, there's, there's. I came from a restaurant family background, so I think the food industry was really uh, more beaten into me than anything. You know, like I had to mm-hmm. work dishes when I grew up. I worked weekends. I was never really at holidays. So I, I um, you know, rather than fall in love with the industry at a young age, I actually didn't fall in love with it. It was just it was kind of a chore. But that one, like, aha moment when I started to understand where your food comes from and appreciation for food was really when I went and studied abroad in the north of France. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in Champagne, right? Fancy, oh, little, yeah. fancy little town. Uh, and I managed to get a really great job at a three Michelin star restaurant. And uh, I worked with 60 young uh, chefs, uh, like, you know, around my age, a little bit older and younger, and really the 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 passion for food uh and and each individual and their families mm-hmm. is what kind of struck me right like you know i'd meet one of the guys that i cook with and he you know he'd be like oh yeah my family owns a cow farm and we you know we get cheese and and then the other guy you know that was sauteing stuff in his family was you know the bread baker you know so it was just kind of it was kind of great how food had just, to me it was the first glimpse of like food and community really right. something. Uh, And that's kind of what I got addicted to. I got addicted to, you know, sourcing locally foods, uh, uh, you know, uh, investing in your community, supporting each other. Obviously, it was being done in a real small scale town. But that was my big food memory. I I wouldn't say I ate a a dish of beef bourguignon (laughs) and dedicated my life career to food. Although those are pretty delicious, so
0: no, but it's more about the people for you. I feel like, and, and after hearing you speak, you know, uh, a bit over the years, I feel like you really, you know, use that lesson that you learned in culinary school, or you know, right after, to to focus on the local and focus on community building. So you've done that not just as, as a chef by. Sourcing locally grown and locally produced ingredients, but also with your your decisions around being an advocate. Can you talk about why you know being part of a community is so important to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, advocacy started out at a really young age for me. Uh, not only were we doing it in our restaurants with some local local charities, but even when I decided to go abroad to Vietnam, uh, my whole purpose for the trip was to build a cooking—you know—cooking school for street kids. Uh, when I used to travel, and I was learning that cuisine. So you know, the the art of gi- giving back to me is something that should be very much practiced in this industry, but really in anyone's life, right? Uh, so that to me was the greatest takeaway. Like you mentioned, you know, I was much more chasing the travels and sure. and and, be- and being able to meet different cultures is kind of what the passion food was kind of what brought me brought me there but uh so then you know for me just seeing it practiced in so many different communities and how it means so much uh is kind of why i really dedicated myself in doing it in my own community on any type of scale sure
0: you know? sure uh,
1: you know foods it's a magical thing right most First of all, most immigrants that come to the United States, the only thing that they can bring with them are really their recipes. If you think right. about it, right? And right. their food to give them some type of of, of feeling at home. So that's kind of how I got addicted to community, and and that's how I, what's given me the opportunity to work with, you know, DC Central Kitchen, which is our, our you know local uh, um, you know uh, school here that that uh, empowers uh, you know people to do better and, and put them through culinary job training mm-hmm. and placement. While feeding, this is why I I team up with with companies like Unilever and 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 you know for their make meals that do more campaigns. So you know uh, this is kind of like how I love to get involved. So
0: absolutely, can we talk about that Unilever uh, campaign that you're working on? What what is that all about?
1: Yeah, you know it, it's just it, it's it's just about being able to work with it like an organization that shares my passion, really yeah. that that uses food as a you know as a force for good. And and that's kind of what thrilled me about them. It's it's uh, they want to be access of fresh food, uh, nutrition and education, in underserved communities, which we label food deserts this day and age, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, and specific to the you know make make meals that do more campaign. Uh, it's it's about you know teaching uh, healthier eating habits, teaching and better cooking skills, and overall just. You know, promoting sustainability through through the community.
0: Well, uh, and it's about access and affordability as well, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's a hundred percent about access and affordability. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of grocers out there, and and even even when there is access, that you know, just buying a bushel of apples can can feed you for the week. You know, so it's really about uh, you know. Being able to shop locally and seasonally, keeping mm-hmm. you know re- responsible source ingredients, trying to reduce the you know your 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 uh, your your waste really is a big thing, right? Why do we produce so much food? Let's let's not waste it. Uh, but specifically, yes, making it affordable for these underserved communities. A lot of thing that 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 turns the dial here is the affordability of it. So uh, I think you live we are doing a fantastic job of being able to to put products out there that are affordable so mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and being able to reach a lot of people i mean that's sort of the advantage of being such a big uh corporation and and having that reach did were you skeptical about working with them i know some chefs would say oh gosh no that i don't want to work with you know a, a company that that's bit, is that large and has that much influence but you you saw it as an opportunity it sounds like
1: Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Like, you know, I, I'm afraid of working with anybody, first of all. So they definitely <laughs> go, they definitely go through the lip test. Right. But, but, uh, uh, you know, it, the, the funny thing is contrary to what most people or an initial chef's knee jerk reaction would be is kind of what the, the opportunity is right. where the opportunity lies these days. Right. So if we really want to make some massive impactful change, it's one thing to be an advocate against big companies that you believe aren't doing it properly. But these companies have ended up where they are for a reason mm-hmm. because there was certain demand at different historical parts of our, our country that demanded these things, right? They grew on demand. Now it's about these companies self-reflecting a little bit, seeing what, how the demand is adjusting, even looking at the carbon footprint that goes into producing all these things and trying to to, to have a little bit more variety uh, of products for the company. And, and that's why I think I'm a perfect match with, with, with them right now, right? They they have some great, you know, for instance, I'm opening up a sports complex uh, at this, it's called the St. James Sports Complex in Springfield. It's, uh, it's a startup. It's the first of its kind. Very disruptive. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty much you know, a massive sports complex uh, that that houses all these different, you know, leagues for children and families. It's a one-stop shop. And my duty here, like, what I really want to do is I've really been wanting to, like, incorporate some product here that has a social aspect towards sure. it, right? So, you know, for, for instance, Sir Kensington, which is a product that, that Unilever supports. Such a
0: great brand, really. It tastes so, good. I like the guys yeah. who started it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's a hip. It's a cool brand. It's a GMO <laughs> product. It, it's, you know, they have some really, you know, uh, eggless mayonnaise it's a vegan mayonnaise. Their uh, mustard is
0: delicious, I have to mustard, say. It's in yeah, my cabinet. Mustard, yeah.
1: Mustard is fantastic. And, you know, those are the type of, of, of connections that I'm into. Uh, for, you know, this, this Saturday, we're actually doing a great uh, event here with a bunch of dietitians. Uh, with Unilever, and we're you know I'm cooking through the event, and I'm using a lot of their products and some of the recipes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for instance, like the Dijon mustard that uh, that you just uh, meant, the mustard that you just meant, I'm gonna use it like in a dressing to enhance like a panzanella salad, right? And it's just as simple as that. It's, it's about using conscious uh, products, right? And, and accentuating like these recipes with them, right? The like the nor rice that they that they actually have. Uh, I'm using that to make risotto balls, right? Nice. And they're going to be delicious and there's no artificial flavors. There's no preservatives. So, you know, all that, all those types of things are very, very important to me. So, uh, again, I don't shy away with working with brands. Yeah. I'm looking for the brands that are, are being thoughtful and know that they have to change and they have to keep up with times. And you're seeing this across the board with brands, you know, so it's important. It's very important for them.
0: Absolutely. And and I, I love that you're you're working with dietitians through that, that program because I feel like often, you know, they're trained on on, you know, sort of the dietary aspect of this all obviously, but not so much the sustainability or social justice aspect. So I imagine that you have a lot to share with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 a two way street. You know, for me it's the dietitians, it's really interesting to hear from them. I, I'm sure they're very interested to hear from me uh, on, you know, my outlook on, on approaching this. And, um, you know, I, I'm actually looking very much forward to it. Uh, specifically again, like with this, the sports complex I'm doing right now, it's really at all about the you know, your diet, the diet changes from person to person, right. Here, right? Whether you're looking to bulk up or you're looking to slim down or you look, you know, people are looking for different things here at the sports complex, endurance, strength, or what have you. So really developing the food program here has been, a little bit of a challenge because usually I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to do a Vietnamese restaurant. I'm doing a Mexican restaurant here. I'm doing like a restaurant for, you know,
0: athletes. Yeah.
1: And every, every, you know, yeah, exactly.
0: And well, I mean, I I think that's so interesting because it combine. I mean, obviously food and being healthy is part of a lifestyle. And so, you know, partnering with sports complexes or, you know, working with athletes. I think that makes a, a lot of sense for chefs like you.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah for me it's for me it was very much something disruptive to, to take on and a little bit out of the norm and and uh, and for me it, it for me it makes sense you know we went through this thing you know for the last ten years about chefs being rock stars right yeah. bad boys and this and that and that's a, that's kind of how we grew in popularity right uh, um, but now what I've really enjoyed in the last five years and and listen there was there were chefs paving the way way before that sure. to, uh, a lot of uh, press about it um, right now. Chefs are more than important than ever, and their voice is more than important than ever. And for them to be involved with the community, to act as mm-hmm. ambassadors mm-hmm. and advocates for better food policy across the nation—not only the nation, but even internationally—is it it's kind of. I feel like that job's on our shoulders, right? We have, we've already committed to to our career of food. We, we deal with farmers, we deal with custo- consumers, customers, vendors. We know the whole process, right? Uh-huh. We really track where food comes from, where it goes, how it gets prepared, what's left over, where that food goes. So I think we're in a real unique position to have uh, a lot of a, a lot of advocacy and effective change right. on behalf of the Farm Bill. So
0: Yeah, sure you have get- a big voice in, in those discussions, I'm sure, especially in, in D.C.,
1: Yes, especially in D.C., you know, uh, but again, not limited to, you know, look at all the, you know, uh, great work that uh, Chef Tom Colicchio has been doing out of New York. And, right. traveling. you know, yes, all these chefs have been traveling to D.C. This is kind of where legislation is written, obviously, and where it's made. So it, it has been fun as being a D.C. chef, seeing all the chefs travel to D.C. and commit themselves to better food policy.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, you know, look, obviously, Jose Andreas, what a role uh. model. Yeah. All, and everything that he's doing, uh, being a DC chef. So yeah, it is quite unique to DC chef, but it's definitely not limited to it's uh, sure. a lot of chefs doing great work all over. So. Well,
0: and I mean, you know, let's get back to that policy angle. I mean, you're obviously doing a lot of work. But I, I feel you know, I lived in DC a long time ago, it's where I started, you know, became an adult, actually. But I, I think that you know, a lot of DC residents don't really know about you know food policies and 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 the policies that run their city, whether it's about food or anything else. What, what what how what advice would you give them to be more involved and to get more sort of in tune with what's happening in their their local food system?
1: Well, you know what? Thank you. For, that's a great question. And 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 you know, maybe a couple of years ago I wouldn't have had the greatest answer for that question. But you know, our mayor. Mayor here in D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser was has committed to bettering the food policy locally in our communities, especially investing a lot more in Ward Seven and Eight, which, mm-hmm. as you know, as a prior resident. That's where our food deserts are, right? Absolutely. That's where, uh, you know, um, so you know, uh, she started the Food Policy Council uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I was lucky enough to be to be asked to chair the Food right. Policy Council, so. Uh, and really, what that is is it's a great piece of legislation that is supported by our local government, our, our and our eight branches of government here in DC, and it's, it's supported by the mayor. And what it's done, it's really bridged the the uh, uh, it, it's really bridged the conversation between DC residents, advocates, and government, right? Whereas you have all these different entities, speaking, you know, uh, kind of working on themselves to better the community. And what this food policy uh, council has done is brought everybody under this legislative mm-hmm. umbrella to share their opinions and their thoughts. Have open forums, have meetings on a monthly basis, even maybe a couple meetings uh, a month uh, based on the different subgroups. But it's really so. My recommendation is just get involved. We we have. We have something here. We have a great website. You can go check our website and see our schedule. Uh, again, these meetings are open to the public. We want to hear from you. That's the purpose of it. But I think that I think that's what was missing. I think that yeah. that part of working together and but making sure the legislation is detailed where it says the government has you know should support you should have to support you and come to these meetings and and the community needs to be heard mm-hmm. as well as all the advocates and. What you know, what's happened here in DC is what people know is we've had amazing food policy over many, many years, right? Big groups, big money. Uh, but they weren't necessarily all working together mm. or even knew, knew about each other. Some of these causes kind of inter you know, the, some of them are, are working towards the same thing. You know, they're all unique, right, and specific, but a lot of them are working towards the same goal. So being able to to have a council that's diverse, uh, you know, our council is made up of 12, 12 people and a food policy director, uh, and be being able to be part of these conversations from all different backgrounds is is extremely important. And uh, you know, we're already seeing fantastic progress here uh, with with this setup. So, you know, I, I hope whoever's listening to this podcast, you know, get these food policy councils mm-hmm. trending. You know, we need. We need this to t- start trending. They have a fantastic one in LA that does a lot of Austin,
0: great. Austin, yeah, too. Yeah. A lot
1: of Austin, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Just, these, these are, these are a thing, and I think they're here to stay. And I think that's how you're going to be able, uh, you know to be heard absolutely so,
0: and i think what's so interesting is you know these food policy councils are coming up with such innovative ideas that you know can have this this uh possibility of trickling upward to you know the federal level and i think you know we need more of that sort of local initiative for real change to take place
1: 100 percent. you said you, you know exactly what you said is 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 the embodiment of what we we're trying to do here right See, the local food policy councils are very important because every region is different, right? And every every resolve is different. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not like you could standardize everything in the one no. farm bill and hope that it applies to every single region and everywhere. It's just not how it works. Right. So, so that's really what needs to change a little bit. So I think being very loud about these councils, about what is uniquely will support our food system, which can help. You know, maybe maybe balance your, you know, our neighbor's food system is very, very important. So, you know, we're as the D.C. Food Policy Council, our food policy director is is holding an annual meeting for all other, you know, food policy directors to come lobby on behalf of the farm bill every Mm. year. So there's a lot of cool, interesting things happening there.
0: You know, you, you mentioned the farm bill a couple of times. How worried are you? you know about things like snap and, and really creating that accessibility and affordability that we talked about earlier for for folks and you know not only wards 7 and 8 but in underserved communities all over the country
1: yeah you know I, I i would say worried is not is not what comes to mind for me when i'm thinking about the farm bill i think the farm bill is pretty resilient uh i i, I and listen it, there are some bad things happening right now with mm-hmm. SNAP, right? And so, yes, I, I, you know, I think humans just are are will will overcome and and figure things out. But we just need to work on this, you know. We're 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 in an extremely polarizing time in politics in 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 our in our country right now, right? So, uh, it's it's easy to assume that food's gonna go down to the bottom of of. Uh, you know, priorities here
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with
1: everything else going on. So for us right now, uh, I think we were uh, our administration, our, 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 our previous administration uh, was very much into food and exercise. Right. And they devoted, you know, Michelle Obama's initiative uh, uh, first, first and foremost was definitely, you know, towards improving school meals and, and being athletic and, and all these beautiful things. And I think there was a lot of hard work done in those eight years, and a lot of progress. I don't think you can undo that uh, in one fell swoop. So, I hope us, not. Yeah, I hope not. For us, it's about maintaining. It's about continuing mm-hmm. our better advocacy. It's about holding our constituents responsible, and, uh, you know, for for how they you know how they vote. Uh, and, and, and what they do. And, and that's kind of why, you know, that was the nature of the podcast and why I decided to, to work with Food Policy Action for, uh, Plate, Plate of the Union. And these are the, these are the conversations we're having on, the, on our podcast, right? It's, it's about the snap, you know, and, and, you know, how we, how we should vote and what we have to do. So, uh, I like to think of myself as an optimist. So, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll keep marching forward and, 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 you know, for me, it's things that make, you know, this, just this is something that just makes sense sure. that, that we have to do, right? Sure. Uh, uh, so I think, uh, I think we're, I'd say we're winning the battle. Sure.
0: No, and I mean, I think that's one reason that your podcast is so successful, because you're, you know, people hear the word policy, and their eyes sort of glaze over, but you're you're pointing to success stories, and you're pointing to hope, and I think that's, you know, what people need to hear, especially right now in this kind of turbulent political environment, and where things are so uncertain. For, for you, and and, you know, I know you work closely with Monica at, at Food Policy Action. Do you, what, what's the most pressing issue you think right now, whether it's for D.C. residents or, or the country as a whole? Is there one sort of food issue that stands out for you? I know that's kind of a simplistic question, but is there one thing that you're like, oh, if only if we did this, you know, X, Y, Z would happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, for for, for me, it it, it it is about concentrating on the underserved uh, communities right uh, these food deserts are not only in dc they're all over the country all over the nation all over the world uh to me you know there seems to be the thought process out there that that you know uh food is a privilege right but you know food is a you know food should be treated as a right and not a privilege, mm-hmm. and that needs to be something that really, really, you know, uh, hits strong with people, and, and that to me is what, what it's about. We need to really uh, have access to better, more nutritious foods in low-income communities. We need to have better education about our foods. We need to support our farmers. You know, we need to re- revive farming. Our average age of farmer now keeps going up. I think it's around 60 years old now. That's atrocious. You know, where's our where's our young generation of farmers? Right. How, how are we going to get them into farming? So, uh, for me, again, it's it can't be one big thing. It's 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 you know the sum of a lot of you know a lot of things. Um, so yeah, yeah, for me, for me, it's mostly let's get very delicious, nutritious food. Let's make it make these food deserts attractive to other retail uh, you know retailers to come open up their supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Let's invest in that. Let's invest on our farmers and how we how we make sex you know farming sexy again. Something that Absolutely. that the generation wants to do. One way I see that happening a lot is with a lot of this plant protein initiatives, right? You know, you don't have to just farm cattle, you can farm peas mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. pea protein. You know? That's kind of a you know making farming something sexy and socially conscious again. So there's a lot of great companies out there doing this, right? Like Beyond Meat, for instance. They're 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 really pushing the limits here on plant protein. We're going to need a, a ton of young farmers to support that, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah.
1: And I, this thing is, food waste. Right. Let's stop wasting our food. Let's be a lot more conscious. We, you know, we, you know, the the carbon footprint is is massive, right? For food, food production, if we're we're using that and wasting food, it just doesn't seem right, right? We need to put some some smarter, uh, you know, uh, protocols in place uh, to make sure we don't waste our food.
0: Absolutely. I mean that's a, a message we, we are trying to drum home on, on at food tank all the time. I, I love that you're you know, you've mentioned youth a lot throughout this conversation. You know, you mentioned working Um, at this cooking school for, for street kids in Vietnam, you know, you, the, this idea of, of building a young, uh, farmer entrepreneur sector. So to make farming something that people want to do, not something they feel forced to do, you know, youth are a big component of this. Do do you have young people? I mean, you're pretty young, but do you have young people involved in in policy in DC that you're, you're excited about, you know, who you think are the next generation of leaders?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't have a uh, one specific person in mind, but but I do deal a lot with kids because I I mean I think as we know like you know children uh, young teenagers these are these are the next generations these are the trendsetters these are are the human beings to make an impactful change. Look at even the gun rally that happened and right. the effectiveness this with the kids right. Parkland, that, that,
0: yeah.
1: You know, like that. That's that's who we need to really depend on, right? That is. That is our fu- That is the future right now, and um, I think I, I really do believe in my heart, with my travels and meeting kids, that they're all they are onto something, and mm-hmm. they're, they're going to do it right. Uh, and even politically, like all these positions you're seeing in the government, there's there's a little bit of a changing of the guard going on. You know, it's 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 uh you know it's exciting, 20- yeah excited it's funny to think like hey millennials are going to be in government making policy doing, you know like okay and they grew up in a different world than even you and i did right so so i'm excited i'm an optimist i think there's mm-hmm. a lot of great things happening there you have companies like Unilever that are making you know uh changes to how they do business and supporting different things you have you know great brand new companies like beyond meats and and uh coming out with great new products there's there's a lot happening out there, so
0: no, there continues to be signs of hope. And like you, you know, I travel a lot, and I'm always most inspired by the young people I meet. You know, I, they're they're the ones who are going to take on a lot of the the mess that the rest of us have made. And I, I'm so inspired by them because they are they have a level of optimism that you know their parents didn't have, and they have so much opportunity to really um, take on these issues in, in new and creative ways, and not just you know sort of like the old guard has.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Uh, you know, we, we're running out of time. One of the things that I like to do when I talk to chefs is, you know, oh, because you all are so good at, at sort of recipes and executing things, you know, and making things happen. What is, you know, are two or three points of advice that you want everyone to sort of take home that they can use in their kitchen or their lifestyle or when they're out eating at a restaurant? What advice would you give most eaters?
1: advice when with most eaters no, I would,
0: yeah you know how to how to eat better how to cook better how to you know sort of you know live better within the food system
1: yeah I mean you know I'd say first of all associate with yourself with brands that are trying to do the same thing right so uh, whether it's 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 pure leaps or Kensington uh, male Dijon mustard whatever it is Associate brands that are are aligning themselves with, you know, what your philosophy on food,
0: your is, values, right? yeah, mm-hmm.
1: what their values are. That's first of all, and support those companies, buy their products. Uh, the other thing is just don't be afraid to, uh, you know, be adventurous when it mm-hmm. comes to what you're eating. And uh, you know, I feel like we've developed a food pyramid here in the United States that's like. It's very simple, and it's like you know uh, I, I think there I think there's a lot of more different exotic ingredients out there right so.
0: it's not I, just I think, meat and potatoes anymore it,
1: yeah exactly except for me exactly and 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 you should you know, and a lot of this stuff is really, really great for you like I could tell you I was introduced to you know uh s- some plant pre plant protein products uh, a couple years ago that I never thought in my ever that I would ever be eating or, or telling people to cook with, but I am, you know what I mean? So it, it's all about not being too set in your way, mm-hmm. leaving a little room to feel a little uncomfortable because the uncomfortableness is actually, uh, sometimes, uh, a learning lesson, you know, right? It's where
0: a, the best things happen,
1: where the best things happen, where some of the most tasty dishes happen and, and you eat. So yeah, that's kind of my, my quick one, two on that.
0: That's great advice. It has been so cool to talk to you. I know you're busy and have to run. Thank you so much for for being on the podcast. I hope to see you really soon. That'd be great. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. A shout out to our producer, Stephen Ray Morris, who makes this podcast possible. And please subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you listen. It would really mean the world to me. You can check out foodtank at foodtank.com, email me at danielle at foodtank.com, and follow me on Twitter at Danny Nirenberg and on Insta at foodtank. Thanks again. See you next time for Food Talk.